0: You know, the world is waiting for light to shine, and I suspect that for too many generations, generations, the church has been too known for what it's against and not known enough for what it's for. And I want to encourage you to, to be a part of being the light in a dark world. Uh, though, for those of you who are a part of Hilton Head Island Community Church, we've got uh, a, a special serve day coming up uh, that we've got at Antioch uh, Education Center. It's in Ridgeland, South Carolina. This is a great organization that helps minister to the children there in Ridgeland and uh, help them with, uh, with school and, and help them really in a lot of different ways. And they've asked us to come out and help them. And uh, so we're going to be out there. It's a church-wide serve day on, on April the 21st from 8 to 4. You can bring uh, uh, you know, bring whatever you want to. We're going to be doing landscaping, just some light sort of thing. And this is something... That I want to let you know about because it's something that's really for the whole church. It's for any of you at any age, any demographic. Love to have you out at Antioch Education Center in Ridgeland. You can register by going to Hilton Head Island, slash serve-day, and really looking forward to serving someone and an organization that are doing a great work in an area that's traditionally, um, you know, maybe lacking in education. And so we're all excited about being a part of that out in Ridgeland. Today, Um, Just really kind of dovetailing from that, we are starting a brand new series called World Upside Down. We're going to be talking about the very first church and how the very first church turned culture on its head, literally turned the world upside down and really changed the climate of all of history, and if you're here today over the next two months, you're going to really like this if you're a history, if you love history, uh, because we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the church and and how it got started. Uh, But I wanted to begin today by asking you the question, have you ever thought about the word Christian? Have you ever thought about the word church and what it means to be someone who goes to a church, who attends a church, who's a member of a church? Or have you ever thought about the word Christian? I think that sometimes in today's day and age, when the world thinks of someone who goes to church or someone who is a Christian, who is a Christ follower, I I think that they probably equate those words with uh, stagnant, um, maybe static, or, or something that is unchanged. Because the world's view of the church, I think, is just that. It's it's a group of people who just kind of go in every Sunday and, and they might hear they might be a part of it for a while and they, they you know they sing some songs and they get together and they have some coffee and they hear a message notice I didn't say great message but they hear a message might pray a few prayers it was a little joke uh, might pray a few prayers you can laugh might pray a few prayers or read you know something from the Bible and um, their view of us is that we leave here and that we just go back to life as usual, right? And I wonder if they're right. I wonder if they're right about that. I wonder if the church and we who call ourselves Christians, we who identify as as followers of God, followers of Jesus, more specifically, I wonder if we have kind of gotten lulled into our comfort so much that really we are kind of unchanged in terms of who we are. We're a bit static, maybe even a bit stagnant. And because that's the case... We're not a light to a world that's ready for light. I got to tell you, that description of the church is not what God intended for the church to be. That description of who a Christ follower is, who a Christian is, is not what God's intent was. And it certainly wasn't the church in the first century. It wasn't the first group of Christians that got together. In fact, they were known as anything but a group of people who were unchanged, who just remained the same, just ordinary. They did and they were things, and they were a light in a way that turned the world on its head. They were a part of the movement of God's Holy Spirit, and they uh, jumped in and kind of got in line with the way God's Spirit was leading in a way that they challenged everything, everywhere they went. They challenged kind of the static or the norm. Garrison Keillor said this and being critical of those of us who are Christians. He said, anyone who thinks that sitting in church can make you a Christian must also think that sitting in a garage can make you a car. I hope that's not the way we approach our faith. I hope he's wrong about that because I don't want to be known as someone, I don't want to be known as a Christ follower who's just stagnant unchanged. We're gonna start this series today and we're gonna be kind of all over the place. In fact, it's interesting, the whole book of Acts uh, kind of bounces back and forth between different stories. I, I read one scholar who said, uh, I have to draw pictures and see this out on a chart because it's a little bit hard to, to kind of find the theme and we're gonna start right in the middle of the story. In fact, it's where that term, turn the world upside down came from. It's right in the midst of the story and over the course of these next two months, it may not be exhaustive, but we're gonna go a little bit deeper into the story to find out some of the things that they were and some of the things that they did and some of the the characteristics of of who the church was and who these first Christians, um, who they were so that we can find out that and and emulate that. Uh, This whole idea of world upside down is is not something that I made up or, or that we as a church made up. It's found right in the middle of the story. It's found right in Acts chapter 17, and it's interesting because it's right in the midst of the story. It's on the second missionary journey that a group of new Christians uh, makes, A group of uh, believers. Actually, they weren't new Christians. Some of them, they've been Christ followers for a long time. And they make this journey around the world. There were three different journeys That some of these Christians made. Uh, The first journey went up into Galatia, which is kind of an area that uh, we we get the book of Galatians from, and there were many churches in that area that started up. It was kind of a rough area of Asia. And then in the second missionary journey, they went up into Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And uh, then in the third missionary journey, we'll see that they went all the way to Rome and and modern-day Italy. And the spread of the gospel just began to kind of and blossom from this group of first Christians that got together. And right in the middle of the story, right after they had been in jail, Paul and and Silas and Timothy, uh, right after they had been in jail in, in a place called Philippi, which is where we get the book in the Bible called Philippians, they were released and they went into a place called Thessalonica. And they get there and the people there are so shocked. And here's where this phrase comes from in Acts chapter 17 Verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, who was probably uh, another Christian who, who kept these men who were in town, and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. This was not like the shout of victory or excitement because some friends were in town. This was not a group of people that were really excited, like, they're here, yay, they're here, it's awesome, they're in town. They were like, they're here. We are in trouble. It's a little bit akin to those of you who are locals during Heritage Week, which is this week, and during summer, when we're like, they're here. (laughs) And if you're here from out of town, we're really glad you're here, because here's the secret, here's the secret... Everybody in here, if you're working, you have some kind of job that relates in some way to the heritage, okay, or the two million people that are here during the summer. So we may complain about your, your car and how you turn the wrong way in the circle and that sort of thing, but we really like you here. But when we have this group of people who are here in our, our town, we're irritated, we're aggravated because we have to have more traffic and you know we go to restaurants and it takes a little bit longer to wait but I want you to hear something the people in Thessalonica that were complaining about these Christians that were in town they weren't just agitated they weren't just irritated because they were here they were scared to death because these were men and women whose worlds had been changed by the power of God. And they were going around the world and they were telling everybody about it. And there they were in their city. And all of a sudden, they knew that life as they knew it was probably about to change. You know, the spread of the gospel, which is really what the whole book of Acts is all about is an interesting thing. Because the thing that very well may be good for the spread of the gospel, and that word means God's good news of Jesus and how he sent his son to come and die on a cross for our sins and be raised again three days later like like we celebrated last Sunday, and he did it for the sins of the world and those who accept him as their savior are guaranteed eternal life in heaven because of what he did on the cross. That message, the spread of that message, the things that are good for the spread of that message are not necessarily The things that are good for Christians. And the things that are usually good for Christians is not necessarily the thing that is good for the spread of the gospel. And the people in Acts experience this like nothing else. In fact, today there are places where the gospel is being spread like wildfire. And I can promise you, in those places where freedom of religion is not allowed, it is not good for those people who are spreading it. But it's good for the gospel. It's good for the gospel. We're going to start in this story right in the middle in Acts chapter 17. And I want to read the whole thing as we take a look at this little story that kind of gives us just a cross-section of everything that's going to happen over the next two months as we take a look at the story of the first Christians. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Let's read together. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. We'll talk more about that in subsequent weeks. Explaining and and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, who I, say that next word with me, proclaim to you, is the Christ. I'm going to come back to verse 3 in a moment. And some of them were persuaded and joined, Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. I love how that is phrased. That is so cool. I love it. And it's so funny to to kind of read through the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And this is the continuation of the story. The first part is Luke, and it's the history of the Gospel of Jesus. And then he he begins and he writes the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the spread of the church. It's amazing. And at the beginning of Acts, he kind of names like, you know, on this day, every day they were added to the to their number daily, Acts 2 says. And then in Acts 3, he talks about 3,000. I think it's in Acts 4, he talks about 5,000. And then it gets to be so much that he just stops keeping count. He's like, Many people came to Christ. And there were a great number of them that came to Christ. And I just love that. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that finds that funny, but I think it's funny. So many people came to Christ there in Thessalonica, verse 5. But the Jews were, what's that next word? They were jealous. They were jealous. You're going to definitely see that as a theme, not just among the Jews, but among many people who heard about the growth of this group of people called Christians. At least that's what they were called at a certain point in time and past that. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. This was like guilt by association because he was a a Christian who was just keeping these men, more than likely, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside, upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, and his name is what? Jesus and the people in the city and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, what is it in this situation that turned the world upside down? Why are the Jews? Why are the ruling Jews and and the leaders of this town? Why are they so upset? How did these, these men and women who were Christians turn the world upside down? Well, it's this. They were proclaiming, and they proclaimed that Jesus was king, and in this context, in this, this city that was a Roman city, it violated Roman laws or decrees that Caesar made that there was only one king, and his name was Caesar. So they used that little loophole to say, these men are causing trouble. And that, in fact, was their message. They were preaching that. They were proclaiming that Jesus was the king. And I want to submit to you today that whether it was back then in the first century or 2018, the message that Jesus is the king of kings is a dangerous and divisive message, isn't it? It was divisive and dangerous for them back then because everywhere they went, they challenged authority. They didn't want to challenge authority, but they did by preaching the gospel message. Inherently, they challenged the authority of anyone else who is ruler. Today, it might be a little bit different because today, when we tell someone about Jesus, we're challenging the authority of whatever is king in their life. And it may be not dangerous in terms of civic uh, uh, interaction but it may be just as dangerous some of you have told a friend of yours about your faith and they've decided to disown you maybe your family has said forget it you're just a crazy christian you're nuts maybe it's you know someone who's really close to you who you're passionate about seeing them come to the lord and it's caused a division among you but you had to tell them about the great work of god in your life See, we have to be honest about the fact that the message that we have is dangerous. It's divisive. But we also have to be honest about the response. See, when we proclaim this message, when we proclaim this message of Jesus, we've got to expect that some are going to accept the message. Paul talks about that in verse 4 when he says many of the Jews, many of the Greeks there, and even some, many of the women accepted Christ as their Savior. Some are going to reject it. We don't read about the ones who just went home and rejected it. That's what happens Probably in most cases today, when you interact with someone, whether it's a group of people or one person, they may just kind of walk away and be like, hey, thanks for telling me all of that. I just want to go back to my life. Don't bug me. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with my stuff. Don't try to get involved in my life. I'm just going to go back. And so they quietly reject the message. But sometimes you're going to get someone who protests the message You're going to encounter someone who may actually put up a fight. And these leaders there in Thessalonica were like, we have heard about what's going on with you, and we want no part of this. And so they thought how they could get rid of these men, these people who came into town with this message, because it scared them. I've often wondered, why in the world does the message that Jesus is king Disturbs so many people. It challenges authority. The reason they were jealous was because they were afraid of the impact that this message would have on their lives. You see, the gospel of Jesus inherently, like it tears us up. Yes, it brings hope and life, and it brings security in heaven if we accept it. But at first, what it's going to do is it's going to tear us up because it's going to reveal in our lives who we've got on the throne. And that may mean that we have to give up something or someone or some things or somebody or some buddies that we love. And So the message of Jesus is dangerous and it can be divisive. But I got to tell you, Christ follower, it's our job to proclaim it anyway. Verse 3 of Acts 17 says that they were explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise again from the dead. And they said this phrase. They said, this Jesus who we proclaim or who I proclaim, he is the Christ. And you see, that's what was so offensive is that they were giving voice. That word proclaim in the original language is a word that we get a word from called evangelism. And it means to proclaim, but it's more than that. It's more in depth. It means to proclaim with your mouth. It means to actually speak it. It means to actually tell it. And the fact that they were telling the message of the good news of Jesus was incredibly offensive. And there were times in this first century that these Christians were deterred. There were times where they were discouraged. But in most cases, as we're going to see over these next few weeks together, they were incredibly brave. They were incredibly trusting that God was going to take care of them because in the face of people who hated hearing the message, they often were even more bold the next time. And that brings up a question today. Does a potentially negative response to the message of Jesus discourage you from sharing it? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Does it discourage you from sharing it? I'm going to admit to you that sometimes that discourages me from sharing it. Sometimes having the thought in mind of how someone might respond to that message causes me to not open my mouth. But You know what's helped me through the years is to realize that it's not my responsibility. The, the result of that message is not my responsibility. That's God's responsibility. My responsibility is just, as a Christ follower, to share it. And I love God, because God gives us this great mission. He gives us an incredible mission, but God doesn't give us a quota, isn't that cool? Isn't that great? Like, he gives us a mission, but he didn't say, hey, Hilton Head Island Community Church, you need to reach 1,000 people for Jesus over the next few days, and that means each one of you has to reach 10 people for Christ over the next few days. I promise you we'd have more room in here next Sunday if I said that, right? (laughs) He'd be like, forget that, man. I don't want any part of that one right there. I'll let someone else take my seat. God doesn't give us a quota, but He gave us a great mission. His mission is communicated in Matthew, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is called the Great Commission for the Church. He says that we're to go, therefore, and make disciples all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And then in Acts one 8 we we're going to take a deeper look into this passage in, in chapter one of, of Acts, um, but, but he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, here's what I want you to hear, Christ follower, is, is that we are responsible for sharing the message of Jesus, we're not responsible for the action of those who hear it. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And that's where we join in with God in what he is doing in our community, in our neighborhood, in our school students, and in the place that we work, those of you who are professionals, in our neighborhoods. Man, that's where we join in. Because our job is sharing it. And that can be done in so many different ways. I would imagine that there probably aren't too many of you who are going to leave today. And you're like, hey, next Sunday, Heritage Sunday, I'm going to get a big old sign. I'm going to go down to Sea Pine Circle. And I'm going to proclaim the message of Jesus to everyone who goes in to the Heritage next Sunday. I'm guessing that's probably not going to happen for too many of you. In fact, we're going to be looking at different ways that this first church shared the message because while they turned the world upside down, they were very smart about it. You realize in this particular passage that they, in verse seven and eight, that they got the ones who were their enemies to proclaim the message that they were railing about in the first place? That's brilliant, isn't it? I love that. And that all dovetails with our mission as a church. Our mission is to passionately share the message of Jesus and lead people to follow him. Notice it doesn't say, that our job is to bring people to Christ because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our job is just to proclaim it, and we can do that in a variety of ways. Maybe you're here today, and you're not like the person that's like super bold. I get that. I'm with you. Um, But maybe you have a friend who is really searching right now, or maybe they're seeking, or maybe they're lost, or maybe they have a lot of questions about God and the Bible, and you don't know how to explain it to them. Um, uh, coming up in just a few Monday nights on April the 16th, we've got Starting Point, which is really designed for those who are new Christians, those who are seeking God, and those who have a lot of questions, or maybe even returning to God. It's a fantastic, we've got a group of people who are going to be teaching that here on, on Monday nights from 6 to seven thirty. I think it's about eight weeks. Um, I want to encourage you, maybe bring someone Maybe that's your way of doing what the first church did. Maybe it's going down to your neighbors and finding out how they're doing because you know that they've been sick and they, they're homebound and they maybe need some help. Or maybe it's going to Antioch Educational Center. Or some of you who are going to Belize, it's full right now. We can't take any more. But if you're going to Belize, that's part of the way that you're sharing the message. Or maybe it's helping out in Island Kids and being a part of what Leslie's doing back there and all of our great volunteers sharing the message of Jesus to people who that's the time in their life when they accept him the most, every study says. See, our mission, not only as a church, but as people, is to share that message and to help lead people to follow him. And I got to tell you, church, if we're on mission, that means there will be times that we do turn the world upside down. And while it may not be the best thing for us, it's the best thing for the spread of the gospel message. And My question to you today as we end is, are you going to be someone who is unchanged in your life in terms of this? Or someone who is unchained in your life on this? Are you going to be the type of Christ follower who just kind of sits there and does their thing and doesn't really care about the spread of the gospel because you have every excuse in the book? And they're all good. I get it. I play golf. I'm used to excuses. Uh, We're good at that. So are Christians. (laughs) Are you going to be someone who really begins to really take it seriously? And you take the chains of all the excuses off and you go, yeah, I got a job to do. And it begins with one person. And then maybe it begins with another person. And then maybe it spreads to a different ministry. And then maybe it does something else. You know, I I was not um, very good in science growing up. Uh, You don't want me to be an engineer. But I do remember Newton's first law of motion. Some of you will remember it from school. I actually had to get it down here because I didn't remember it that well. All right, But it says this, a body at rest will remain what? At rest. First law of motion, a body at rest will remain at rest. And that's a choice as a Christ follower that we can make. We can be the first part of the law of motion. Or we can really tap into the second part, which says this. Unless, unless, unless an outside source or force acts upon it, and then a body in motion will what? Remain in motion. It'll go on. It'll stay in motion. You see, I don't know about you, but I want to be the Christ follower who's someone who doesn't do just the first part, but I want to be someone who encounters with some kind of force who knows maybe it's God's Holy Spirit that works in our lives and begins to change us from the inside out and spurs us on to sharing what God has done in our life. And then where all of a sudden a Christian is in motion, unchained from all the excuses that we can make to not tell other people about what Jesus has done for us. Yeah, we're going to turn the world upside down, and yeah, it may be a little uncomfortable, but man, think about what God can do if we are all a church, church, a group of people who are unchained. He can do amazing things incredible things. Father God, I thank you so much for this group of Christians, these people who walked into Thessalonica, and God, they were there, and they had got a story to tell, and they had been other places, and they had turned the world upside down in these other cities, in these other towns, in these other villages, And God, they walked in there, and they were probably mocked and made fun of. And while some great things happened in verse 4, some very difficult things happened by the end. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us who are Christ followers in here to be committed to not just being a Christian in name only. But God, that we would be people who are unchained in terms of our passion to share this good news with other people, God, that we would be the type of people who take it seriously and look for opportunity rather than look for ways out of the opportunity. And God, I pray that you would make me and that you would make the rest of Hilton Head Island Community Church, God, that you would challenge us to be brave, to be courageous, to be bold, and it begins in the depths of our own faith walk. Are we the type of people who are unchained, or are we just going to be unchanged? Are we just going to be ordinary? Are we just going to sit there? Are we just going to be static? God, I pray that we would be people that are dynamic because we've tapped into a dynamic God who's always looking for ways to change us, not because we're imperfect, but because you want what's best for us and you want what's best for your kingdom. Father God, I pray that you would do a work in us. God, that you would help us to realize that our whole life is not centered around whether or not we're comfortable, whether or not we're secure. But God, as Christ followers, we do have a mission. In fact, we have a great mission. God, it involves us telling other people. It involves us sharing with other people what you've done in our lives. God, right now, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds. As we begin this series, as we kick off today, as we learn more over these next few weeks, I pray that we would be inspired to be people who'd be willing to be changed by you. God, be people who are willing to share what we believe with our friends and our neighbors and our community. And that we would be bold, that we would be a representation of what this first church was. God, go with us, go before us. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.